Support for our show comes solely from listeners like yourself. If you like what we're doing, help us by sharing the pod on social media and leaving us a five-star review, whether it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Audible. Thanks again for listening, and without further ado, let's start the show. Hello, this is Juliana Stoltz, and I am a 27-year school psychologist. I'm sticking with the union because they have always had my back at the local, state, and national level. Hey guys, welcome back to PCTA's Fire Podcast. I'm Brendan Pickett. I'm the FDA Director and Fire Co-Chair here at PCTA. I'm Lee Bryant. I'm the President-Elect of the PCTA, and I'm a high school teacher of 28 years, a Navy veteran, gunner's mate, and uh, I think I bring a little experience to conversation today. Uh, I'm Philip Belcastro. I am Fire Co-Chair. My name is Ken Afienko. I'm an attorney for the last 23 years and a police officer for the last 42. And we're here today to talk about guns. Guns violence, gun safety. Um, I don't know if you guys read the news at all. It's quite relevant these days. Um, We hear about it more and more. So just starting us off, I do want to get all our backgrounds and feelings towards the Second Amendment, right? The right to bear arms. So going first, I want to talk to Ken. Right. And I want to hear, I want to pick your brain. So what are you, what is your experience and feelings towards the Americans right to bear arms, our second amendment? Well, my experience is I've been collecting firearms since I was 19 years old. So I've accumulated a, a nice collection. Some of them say a very large collection. I just say it's a nice collection. <laughs> I've been in law enforcement since I was 19, which was 1981. And I've been around firearms. Obviously I've worked a lot of calls involving firearms. And I'm also a firearms armor in several disciplines. In addition, I train law enforcement officers as well as civilians in training how to use firearms and also the laws of self-defense as well. So I, I have many years of experience around firearms and the training associated with it. I grew up around guns. My father was a marksmanship instructor in the Air Force. He was on the All-Army pistol team when I was born. He went to the All-Air Force pistol team when he changed branches. I grew up... Uh, with him in the NRA, and uh, I was a member of the junior NRA, I guess. We used to get the American Rifleman, the American Hunter magazines all the time. And I was a gunner's mate in the Navy, where I uh, trained on all the uh, the weapons of the time. That was back in the 70s and 80s. So uh, weapons have changed a little bit since then, but they still do the same basic function. Well, the Navy has some big guns. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the gun show, baby. <laughs> Um, I don't really have that much experience with guns. So a little bit of background. We, we brought Ken on. We know Ken because uh, we had previously mentioned on the podcast that me and some other teachers had taken the concealed carry safety class with Ken. And um, we thought that it was, it was a good experience and it was something that we wanted to talk about and bring to the podcast and to other teachers. So it's, that's about the extent. I mean, I, I always had like a little BB gun when I was a kid, but I grew up in New York. So there's no, there's no place to really do that. And the first time I ever shot like a real firearm, I was probably like 17. I had these cousins that live in like Western New Jersey, like in the Pine Barrens or something. So, and it was just like a little 22 like sport pistol and, and rifle. And that was it. But uh, but I like shooting quite a bit. It's it's, it's great fun. You ever owned a gun before, Philip? What's that? Have you owned a gun before? I have never owned a gun. I did um, I did finally get my concealed carry license. Ken, your, your work has paid off, so I have it in my pocket right now. Um, I don't know if it's something I want to purchase and like have 
around, I guess, because I would, I, it, for me, it would be a hobby. And I, I'm already a musician, an artist. I have like expensive hobbies already. So <laughs> I don't know if like buying a, a gun and like bullets just to go shoot at a range is like something I really want to get into. I got my first gun in fourth grade. My dad <laughs> bought me a Savage over under 22 long rifle. 410 shotgun. It wasn't a Red Ryder BB gun? No, no. it was uh he took me to the range and we learned to we learned to shoot, but I still have the 22 410 in my uh, garage. I'm refinishing it. Yeah, lots of my relatives had guns, but I mean it just wasn't a thing in my house. And again, I mean we're where I grew up in New York is very similar to Pinellas County, like very densely populated, lots of commercial and residential mixed up together. So we would have to like leave and drive several hours in in you know upstate or go out to you know jersey or pennsylvania for that to even be a possibility i do not own a gun but i did grow up kind of firing weapons my father's a big gun person he has about 20 weapons in his closet and i think in a previous episode i was kind of talking about how a lot of people who own guns some people are unsafe of them my father is extremely safe he has a safe actually when i was a kid i never saw the weapons unless we were out going out to the range or firing weapons there my grandfather's from tennessee he's got to his farm and shoot you know vermin Mm -hmm. but (laughs) other than that i don't have any real training with weapons uh other than shooting cans and vermin and yeah i i think guns are fine i actually want to buy a gun real soon Mm -hmm. i kind of want to get a some kind of rifle for the home but that's where i stand on it and i'm happy we kind of elaborated a little bit about where we all stand on this Many statistics point towards contemporary America seeing a drastic increase in mass shootings spanning all the way back to the early 80s. In fact, we talked to my mother, who was in the Pinellas Park shooting in 88. Mm-hmm. However, the past 10 years have seen the greatest uptick in gun violence in, from schools, churches, and even concerts. And I think, Philip, your sister was at the- Yeah, my sister was at the... Um- what what was that casino in Vegas? Mandalay Bay. Mandalay, Mandalay Bay. Bay. Thank yeah. You. yeah, yeah. She was she was in the casino while somebody was firing out of it. So we're all kind of in the area. We know someone who's been affected by gun violence. We know yeah. someone who's been you know indirectly affected by it as well. So I kind of want to talk about how did the United States of America get here, and if we can't keep guns off the streets, what role does educating the public about gun safety play in? all of this so you gave a lot to unpack Absolutely. i don't think we have enough time for me to delve into my personal opinions sure. about why we've gotten to the point where we have i can tell you i think it's a combination of several different factors sure one of which obviously to me is the family structure in today's day and age single parent homes kids with gangs that they get affiliated with next thing you know having a gun is cool bringing a gun to school is cool that sort of stuff. The mindset has has changed a lot in the last 40 years that I've seen. And that's when I started my career as a law enforcement officer. I can tell you that it's disturbing to me that almost every day, at least recently in the last six months, 12 months, that you pick up the paper and you see some sort of mass shooting or some sort of active shooter. Very, very disturbing. Mm-hmm. My twist on it is this. If you call 911, because there's an active shooter, you have a lag before the police officer gets there. That's my concern. No matter how many officers respond, you're still going to have a loss of life if someone is is dedicated to shooting and killing people, which is what these people do. So I'm a proponent of law-abiding, honest citizens caring to protect themselves and the ones they love. And obviously, I have a, a business that trains people on what to do in those situations. 
But I feel that having people that are honest, law-abiding, armed to protect themselves is a good thing. What makes it bad is the people do, that do have mental issues that have guns and that want to go out and kill people. It makes the whole gun industry look bad. And, and I do have a problem with the way the media portrays it. Mm-hmm. I don't think the media does a fair job in portraying it the way it should be portrayed. But that's just my my general opinion of, of where we're at today in today's society. I agree. There's a lot of media <laughs> sensationalism with most things that we see. I think literally I mean, everything. Everything. <laughs> I had a professor at USF, Dr. Connor, if you're listening, shout out to you. And he called it this info quake, right? It's this constant barrage by information and sensationalism and all this stuff. Well, it's the same thing with the Internet. They just need eyes on the product right. constantly. Right. Can you elaborate on how you think the media is portraying gun violence and why this is kind of contributing to the problem? Well, I think part of the problem is when people see these articles in the paper or watch it on TV, they spend more time, I don't want to say glamorizing the actual shooter, but people know the name of the shooter before they know the names of the victim. And when you have demented people out there that are interested in making a name for themselves because they've been a zero their whole life, they think, okay... Well, the Las Vegas shooter killed 59. I need to kill at least 60 to make a name for myself. And I think the media sets that to, to a certain degree. Obviously, they report the news, but the way they report is what I have a problem with. So I, I think if they focus more on the victims as opposed to the actual shooter and putting that information out, you don't give as much ammunition to the next person that says, I need to be a celebrity. Everybody's going to know my name. Yeah, I've noticed a trend lately, though, where the uh, police department will say, we will use this shooter's name one time. Correct. And we will not mention it again. And that's taking away a little of the glamorization of that, I think. I would say that as well, because I haven't haven't, um, heard the name. I think I've recently, like a few days ago, heard the name of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas shooter for the very first time ever. So they've been doing a good job of uh, like desensationalizing because everybody knows uh, that Dylan Klebold and that other kid sure. uh, from Columbine, which and today is the anniversary of Columbine. Uh, a, a little bit uh, on that, though. I think part of the problem is the technology involved with the advancement of the weaponry. If you were, if we had armed people that were carrying wheel guns, a revolver, then it wouldn't be as bad. The AR-15 and the platforms that are similar to that, they carry so much firepower and they're so devastating that it's beyond self-defense it becomes it is a weapon of war and it's designed to inflict mass damage on human beings if you had armed citizenry i have and trained and respectful and everything that was still under control you would have less damage than somebody walking around with a gun that carries 60 rounds of high-powered ammunition i'm not saying you can't have the technology but we spent so much energy and time developing more advanced technology for the killing part of it and not for the safety part of it. We need to develop more and more and more safety measures for the weapons. We did it with cars. In the 60s, I didn't even have seatbelts in my car. (laughs) Didn't have to. But we spent, we decided as a society that we wanted to make cars safer and safer and safer. And we put in shoulder belts and seatbelts and airbags and Uh, crash-resistant bumpers, and all the technology that went to keeping the cars safe. If we'd invested some of that money in keeping weapons safer, biometrics maybe, I don't know. I'm not an inventor. I But something to help keep the weapons safer around people, then it might might, uh, be an advantage. 
You are listening to PCTA's Fire Podcast. I'm here today with Lee Bryant, Philip Bel Castro, and Ken Afienko. Based on what Lee was talking about, about how we as a society decided there needed to be action taken for, just example, seatbelts. A lot of these people who are doing the mass shootings, I'm thinking of these students who get guns, right? Where do they get them from? They get them from irresponsible parents, in my opinion, sometimes, right? These parents who are not safely putting their weapons away, their child gets a hold of it. And again, they want to be, they want to become something, right? They want to make a name for themselves. So they take these weapons to school and they unload them. That's an issue. What should we as a nation, what should we as a country be doing to prevent this? I can tell you from a law enforcement perspective, most guns that get in the hands of illegal people are stolen out of cars. Okay. Mm. They're breaking into cars, taking guns. They're breaking into gun shops, taking guns. Believe it or not, taking the guns from their parents is a very small proportion of the actual guns that are used in crimes. They're stealing the guns because they also, when they steal a gun, they file off the serial number and then they use it. If they take their parents' gun, the parents is going to know that their gun's gone. Mm -hmm. So hopefully a parent would report it stolen or lost or something like that. But they usually don't use those guns. Now, I know the, the shooting in Pinellas Park, that was a parent's gun that was taken. Yeah. And it was actually a deputy's gun. Oh, wow. It was. Yeah. And I remember the shooting in Pinellas Park because I was working in, in Madeira Beach at the time okay. when it happened. So I'm well aware of the shooting in Pinellas Park. And a lot of people don't realize that was one of the first school shootings in the country mm. at Pinellas Park High. But I, I, think, I think what we're dealing with here is it, it's, they're going to get the guns because they're stealing them. All right, so how do we prevent that? And in my class, as you know, one of my you know, uh, things that I mentioned in the class is don't leave your guns in your car. Mm -hmm. That's the first place where these kids go, especially in summertime when they're out of school. They're breaking into cars, taking guns, and that's how they're getting their hands on them and they use them in crimes. So that's one of the issues. People need to be aware of safe storage and keeping their guns locked up when the guns are not actually in physical control of their person. That's a huge issue. These kids break into homes and they get guns because they're not locked up. They're just laying there. So that's an issue too. It, as far as using the guns, well, I mean, I hate to sound so critical here, but they're criminals. That's what criminals do. We're never going to prevent the criminals from using a gun to commit crimes. I don't care what kind of laws you have on the books. What we can do is hopefully keep them from getting the guns. I think that's where we need to focus. Gun laws, in my opinion, if you come up with a gun law that says, listen, we're going to go to no more than a 10-round magazine like a lot of other states in this country have. Okay, no problem. A criminal, it doesn't stop them. They're still going to get the 30, 40, 50, 60, 100-round drum right. magazines. Right. The only thing you're doing now is you're affecting a law-abiding citizen's right to have more than a 10-round magazine. But if they're getting you know. the weapons from cars, and I, I heard the same statistic, but if they're getting the rounds out of uh, the guns out of cars, most cars are not carrying 50, 60 drum magazines. And so they're carrying, you know, what fits in their in the revolver. Correct. I have a KZ-75. It holds 16 rounds. That's it. And I, that's what I would carry if I was carrying it. They're not carrying. I'm not going to go out and buy a drum, so they're not going to have access to those drums unless they purposely seek out the extended magazines. Correct. And you, and like we said, most of them they're getting them, they're stealing them. Sure. So if they weren't out there, they would not be able to steal those. And I think one of the myths is that people think these mass shootings, AR-15s, AR-15s, they're 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 the devil. 
If you look at the actual percentages of guns used in crimes to kill people, AR-15s is like 1% of the firearms used to kill people. However, in the mass shootings and the active shooters, it's publicized. The media gets a hold, oh, he had an AR-15. You know, so they publicize it on that end. But, you know, we, you know, you mentioned about the car safety stuff. The difference between car safety and firearm safety is we got one problem. The problem is we have a constitutional right to keep and bear arms. And that's what the problem is because the courts, the legislators are trying to find the balance. Where's the balance where I'm not going to affect your right as a law-abiding citizen, but yet I want to go ahead and prevent the bad guys from using these guns, getting these guns. That's the hard part no one can figure out. And, I, and that's what we're working with. I think the AR-15 is a really good example. We talked about earlier about media sensationalism, right? They want to they want to put a title on it somewhere, so they are going to put it on a particular type of gun. Sure, assault rifles, the big sure. one they want to keep saying assault sure. rifle, assault rifle, right? But there are plenty of other weapons, obviously. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, kind of going into this though, I mean, what do you think we should be doing to like actually really crush this problem right where it stands? Like, do you suggest maybe? legal repercussions for irresponsible gun owners what should be what what could we be proactively doing especially from a cop's perspective here what could we as a country be proactively doing to prevent these thefts of weapons and having gun violence kind of spread in that sense well we can start at home by locking up your guns don't leave them in your car overnight that's a that's a really good start if you're in a home and you're not using the gun, meaning when you get home, you take the gun out of the safe and use it for self-defense, the gun's with you. Mm-hmm. When you leave the house, lock it up in a, in a compartment where no one can get to it. Mm-hmm. That's a start. I think another issue is parent responsibility. Mm-hmm. The police cannot be the parents of the kids. So I think the parents' responsibilities is to monitor their Facebook, monitor their their, their social media accounts to see what kind of stuff they're putting out there. Because if you look at some of these kids that are going around shooting up schools or wherever. They're usually warnings. It's amazing. Every time you see an article, it's like, yes, they were on their Facebook talking about this. There was videos of them shooting up trees in the woods saying that they hated school. Why aren't we learning that before it happens? Like Dylan Klebold and the other guy out in Colorado, uh, yeah, same thing. They're that. out in the woods shooting cans, trees, and everything else with high-powered rifles. That's before and, social media. Right. And, 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 and why was that only learned after the fact? Well, and, you know uh, what I mean? We, we, they keep harping uh, lately on mental health, mental health. And that if you're shooting somebody, you have a mental health issue. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's that simple. But we don't provide universal health care. And if we had universal health care, we would have universal access to mental health care because mental health is health. And these kids are not being diagnosed. They're not being treated because so many of them have no access to health care, period, mm-hmm. or easy access to health care. I wanted to I think that's kind of where we could bring it back into the schools, because something Ken said earlier um, about like being in the home and these kids being on power trips like I don't want to. I don't want to villainize or demonize like single parents. My mom was a single mom for like a long time for most of us growing up. So 
but what is different from how we grew up versus now, right? Because I'm 36 years old. It's, it was, it's been a minute since my mom was like a single parent. But what we see in the schools now is exactly what Lee was just saying, is that there's, there's this focus on mental health and there's this focus on all of these things that school is supposed to shore up these failings of society. And we have to deal with that on a day-to-day basis of kids who don't show up to school, kids who don't do homework, kids who don't know what day it is. I mean, <laughs> if one of them gets a gun somehow, my question, it goes through my head, is because we know that guns have, have shown up on campuses around Pinellas. We know for sure it's happened. It's kind of, you know, people don't talk about it a whole lot, but a lot of times it is just like a kid who who just brought a gun to show his friends because he's like on a power trip. It's not necessarily somebody who's there to shoot up the school. It might be somebody who just wants to show his friend or he, if there actually is, you know, malicious intent, it might be to shoot one specific person for a specific reason, which is a lot of gun crime is like theft or drugs or something like that. Like if you're not involved, don't worry about it. It's not you, right? If you are a drug dealer, you're probably around a lot more guns than people who want to shoot you. What I think about in the sense of schools and the children that we see day to day and the 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 increase in mass shootings is what possesses somebody to take like a higher powered weapon like that or to seek out those bigger magazines and go into a building, maybe a building they don't even have association with, banks, movie theaters, schools, these places and just open fire with i just want to kill as many people as possible and it's so like planned you know they yeah they have these manifestos and it's very detailed yeah, the guy in the joker makeup at the movie theater right you know? right so that's like that's where where my brain goes is and another comparison i always make is you know you said second amendment and like our rights here in this country that is an important part of being american mm-hmm. right and that is you know protecting our communities and stuff is an important part of being american Switzerland is also full of guns and but they have like better training they have a better gun culture there where you're not hearing about mass Swiss shootings constantly so to bring it back to the original question like what are we doing wrong how come we don't have how come we have so many people like just leaving the house with intent to murder as many people as possible and I'm taking notes here I'm I'm hearing mental health from Lee right I heard Ken mention parent responsibility, which I think is a huge role in this. The parents actually being responsible with their children, right? Where do schools kind of fit into this? I, I feel like, because there's three pillars in a society, right? It won't well, used to be three. You have the clergy usually, right? You have the school, and then you also have the parents. So how can we bring these three pillars together and ensure safety for our communities? I, I, I can tell you, I teach at the college level. And I can tell you, we face some of the issues that you face absolutely in, in, in your your environment as well. But I can tell you, I think training the professionals that are around these these people to identify signs of issues. Meaning this, you get a student that comes in that's just, I mean, acting very odd and you know by themselves. I mean, recognizing issues. And then taking action, whatever is within their purview to do, maybe have a threat assessment done on them. I don't know. But certainly not doing anything and just ignoring them, which I've seen a lot, is not the answer. And maybe spending the money to have enough guidance counselors, school counselors, and social workers in the schools Absolutely. to help work with the kids. Right no, now, no question. they're working at, at a frantic pace. No yeah. question. With not only trying to talk to kids, but test. I think that's the real failure of our society for talking about why this keeps happening is there's just not resources being poured into to actually support these children. Sure. Right? I think the easy the easy solution is ban. But let's get rid of them. 
right? Get rid of the guns. Get right? rid of the students. We wish, right? Oh. No. <laughs> no, but get rid of the guns. And I think a lot of, um, if we're looking on the the left spectrum, I think a lot of people on that side will say, ban them, get rid of them, right? And people on the extreme right will be like, no, more guns. Everyone needs to be armed. Everyone needs a gun. But really, it's not really the gun at this point. It's we don't have support systems in place to make sure people are safe. Mm-hmm. We, and, and, and I would point back to the mental health thing. Mental yeah, health. Mental health doctors, children who have access, not just in the school, but from the home. Yeah. The degradation of community, I think, is a serious thing. And that comes up just in non-gun related conversations. And one of my things is always like public schools are one of, you know, compulsory education is one of the greatest achievements of this country to send everybody to school, make sure everybody has a baseline of education. And what has kind of happened is is the disinvestment in in that system. Right. So rather than building communities and keeping teachers there for a long time, making sure that, you know, the neighborhood has eyes on kids, whether it's social media or just playing, you know, baseball on the street or whatever, we have less and less and less of that. And parents are working more and more and more. And there's just, everybody is just kind of scattered and disjointed. And now we've got this, this crippled system of public schools where, I mean, us here at the table are bogged down in paperwork and meetings and trainings and all this other stuff where if you do have a kid that you're thinking, you know, I don't know what's going on with this kid. I really should, I really should uh, tell the guidance counselor about that. Well, the guidance counselor might be proctoring a test. The guidance counselor <laughs> might have quit yesterday, you know, or you just don't have time to do it. But, you know, you're in your car driving home. Oh, shoot, I forgot to tell so-and-so about this thing that happened, right? So we're all sort of handicapped with the amount of stuff that we can do. And when we're talking about the uh, this voucher bill here in, in Florida, I always think of, wouldn't it make more sense and wouldn't it make you a job creator if you just paid more school staff, like guidance counselors and hallway monitors and more people to sort of take care of that like endless amount of paperwork? Wouldn't that just create jobs and kind of boost the local economy? But no, we're just going to do vouchers. At one time at our school, we had three campus monitors, three campus monitors, two men and a woman. And now we're down to one. Yeah, because there's no money available for uh, keeping that staff. And I'm not trying to cater to our police officer in the room, but I mean, we should have resources for SRO officers to be communicating and engaging in the community at our school. Yes, we have SROs, but they're also busy just trying to make sure the school's functioning on a daily basis. They could be in classrooms talking to students, making that community effort. You are listening to PCTA's Fire Podcast. I am here today with Lee Bryant. Philip Castro and Ken Afienko. Senate Bill 256 was passed and is on its way of being signed into law by Ron DeSantis. And it's commonly referred to as a union busting bill for public sector employees, but it purposefully leaves out police officers and firefighters. How do we get all public servants, cops, firefighters, teachers, to work together on issues such as gun violence when politicians intentionally keep us divided? The bottom line is I read the bill and I'm surprised that someone would even propose this. I'm even surprised that it passed the House and the Senate. I think there serves no legitimate government purpose other than to bust a union, which we all know unions have gotten a bad uh, you know, rap in the last few years. I don't know why that is because, again, I am the attorney for the Fraternal Order of Police. And I can tell you, it's it's better to have a good working relationship 
with the administrators and the entities in which you which you represent as opposed to them saying okay well you don't have 60 percent. guess what you're not a union anymore i think it's much better if we all work together i don't see this really surviving if it goes to the supreme court of the state of florida as it's written mm. i guarantee once this bill is signed into law there will be challenges it, it's coming so there's still hope that it won't become law it'll be deemed to be unconstitutional because it serves no legitimate government purpose and that's one of the issues that judges i'm sure will take a hard look at and it is and it's been called the union busting bill and again i've read it and i would have to agree it, it serves no other purpose than to dissolve the union and what was even more interesting they picked 60 percent as a cutoff which was very surprising to me because you would think if they're going to do something like that well wait a minute why not 50 percent why not 40 percent because now you're getting in almost to a supermajority of membership and understand a lot of people especially in the public sector don't make a lot of money no. so when you tell them hey listen you have to pay x amount of dollars per month to be part of the union they're like well i can't afford it i would but i couldn't because i don't make enough money so you're looking at the government saying we're not paying these people enough they can't afford the union so we're going to look at the union and go if you don't have 60 percent you're going to dissolve yourself as a union and no more collective bargaining and i think that is very disturbing to me mm -hmm. And I think there's light at the end of the tunnel. We're just going to have to wait and see what kind of appeals go through to the Supreme Court of the state of Florida. The optimists in the room. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> uh, and it, it, it is at 50% until the new law was signed. And the 50% was not that old. It used to just be this was the union and they're representing. Then they put it at 50%. And we were able to start meeting the 50%. So they moved the goalpost. They came in with the excavator, dug it up, and moved it back a little bit further to make it even harder to reach. And it, I think it's purposely going after the smaller counties uh, in the state of Florida that can't afford the accountants and bookkeepers and everything else. And our poor support staff get paid so little that there's no way they can band together. But I would like to think when we were at the uh, Chili Blaze cook-off and they purposely recognized the teacher's union as our team we had a, a, a cute name we were calling ourselves team extra credit yeah <laughs> and, which i thought and i came up with the name don't laugh too much <laughs> I uh, like it. Uh, but they would not use our team name the firefighters insisted on using teachers union teachers union and i appreciate the heck out of that yeah but i think it also stems back from maybe a little bit of the uh, patriarchal society that we have the police and the firefighters tend to be more male dominated and the teachers tend to be female-dominated as a profession. And I think there may be a little uh, patriarchal uh, slant in, in what they're doing. I'm genuinely curious. Kent, why do you think that cops and firefighters were purposely left out of the bill? I can only speculate, but Ron DeSantis has supported law enforcement and fire and the fire industry since he's become governor. Mm. You know, he gave across-the-board raises to all law enforcement. So he's also given a $5,000 stipend to get people in this state to be police officers from other states. Wow. He, he understands that at least, in the, at least in the police department you know, world, we're hurting for people. So they're making an incentive for them to come down. So I don't think he wants to disrupt any of those particular professions because he knows without law enforcement, without the fire department, 
this whole state is going to go upside down and you're going to you're going to be looking like a detroit you're going to be looking like a los angeles you're going to be looking like a washington dc and we know what's going on over there yeah, so he knows the importance is we got to keep these people employed so i think that's why he he carved out the exception for fire and police but nonetheless i will tell you from what i've seen over the years I think you teachers have fallen way behind the times with benefits and pay and everything else for what you put up with. And it's a shame to sit back and watch what you guys go through because I see it firsthand too. I mean, I get the students that you graduate in high school. Yeah, the ones who made it. The ones, who, the made ones it, yeah. who made it. And I can tell you it's very disturbing to me to see some of the kids coming out of high school and they can't even put a sentence together so i can only imagine what you guys go through and you guys aren't nearly paid as much as you should be paid read 130 of their essays (laughs) (laughs) stringing sentences together that's one way to call it so i mean if we can speculate further we just um one of our colleagues told us about uh somebody had introduced in the house i guess like a sixty-five thousand dollar minimum for teachers I didn't read the full article. Does anybody know what I'm what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, it was a democratic initiative. Someone's yeah. posing like this crazy outrage. I, I don't think it's outrageous. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. It's not going to go anywhere. But right. I'm just, again, just with speculation, knowing that Florida is probably going to have this like this further brain drain of teachers leaving or quitting, getting out of the profession entirely. I, I'm curious, although I feel doubtful that Ron DeSantis will do something similar, like have like a head hunting bonus for teachers. You know, I mean, it seems like we're kind of going in the exact opposite direction. But I was thinking about this while we're all talking about it. I mean, you can't really privatize the cops. You can't really privatize the firefighters. That is true. You can privatize teaching. You can mm-hmm. definitely make charter schools. You can definitely push money into private schools, right? So I'm thinking, because this to say the state's not hurting for educators, that's a lie. We are hurting for educators. Right. We're one of the worst in the country right now. Uh, what, 10,000 open positions currently? Yeah, absolutely. It's national news. So I, I think... If we actually could make a difference and, and make this place like what you said, like in L.A., right? And if, if education had that impact, I think he would probably be stacking us right now. But. And we're 48th in teacher compensation, yeah. 48th in the nation. Yeah. So where's the incentive for somebody else to come to Florida other than the great weather? And they used to say, well, you get paid in sunshine. It's, <laughs> it's inexpensive to live in Florida and the weather's beautiful. Now it's expensive as heck. Yeah. <laughs> the weather's beautiful, but we're not going to pay you. Right. Weather's getting hotter and hotter and, and they've stopped insuring flood zones. So <laughs> it's getting to this point where it's actually profitable to go to Alabama where they're paying math teachers fifty nine K right now. Because they can't get math teachers, but it's like that's what you have to do. You have to pay and give benefits and thank you for recognizing that we're behind in benefits. Yeah. I one hundred percent agree with that as well. So, it's just getting bad. I mean, how do we how do we how do we shore up the public sector? Because cops, firefighters, teachers, post office, sanitation, right? Like we we are the community that we're trying to protect. We are trying to protect the those community values and you know, like I said, like the eyes on the streets of you know keeping teachers in their positions for a long time, making sure cops know the neighborhood, making sure firefighters know addresses and stuff like that. How do we how do we do this together to build you know, places like St. Pete and Pinellas, where people stick around and want to make sure buildings don't go up in flames and kids aren't getting guns and they know how to string a sentence together. How do we do that together? That's a wonderful 
question. That's, that's the same question. Well, that's all we have time for, folks. Goodbye. That's what I was posing as well, though. Is well, remember, though, uh, uh, there's been a concerted effort for the last uh, several decades to denigrate unions, and the government is the problem. The, we are the government. The police, <laughs> yeah. the firefighters, the teachers. We are the government. We are the working face of the government. And they have been attacking the idea that government is a problem instead of uh, the possible solution. And the government, firefighters, police, office workers, DMV, I don't care who, we need to come together and recognize the fact that together we have enough power to make it so that the government is not an enemy and never was an enemy, mm. but to make it come out in a more favorable light. And that's all we have for today. So we're going to take a little break and when we get back we're into our base awards, guys. So stick around. Hello there. If you support the podcast, you can now donate directly to us from the link in the description. You can donate 99 cents, 4.99 or 9.99 monthly. Your donation can help get me Aziz off the streets. Well, unfortunately, Aziz will always be on the streets. He yearns for the streets. But your support will go towards producing high-quality episodes just like the one you're listening to right now. Your support helps us keep gas in the tank, food on our tables, and our classrooms full of pencils and paper. We all know edumacators all over America are undervalued and underpaid. Help us, mooks like me, continue to bring recognition and a voice to education professionals. Hey guys, it's Brennan. One of my goals moving into this podcast project was to have the voices of our listeners play an active role in sharing our message that Union's Public Schools, well, they're not going anywhere without a fight. And as we dive deeper into the themes of public education, teachers' unions, and political activism, we want to hear from you, our listeners. If you're a teacher, parent, even a member of the community, we extend an open invitation for you to send us a voice recording with your name, occupation, and why you're sticking with the union during these politically turbulent times. We love to play these recordings at the beginning of our episodes and share your thoughts with our listeners. You can send these recordings to PCTA Fire, that's F Y R E pod at gmail.com. Additionally, we encourage you to write to your representative and advocate for teachers' unions and public education. You can easily locate your representative by visiting www.myfloridahouse.gov forward slash find your representative. Your voice can make a difference in supporting education and the future of our students. So take a moment to send us a voice clip and write to your representative. Let's work together to positively impact education for all. And we're back. So as always, we're going to start with our based awards, which is something that is agreeable, respectable, or just something positive. As as we're all aware, this show could be a downer sometimes. <laughs> so, Philip, how about you start us off? Okay. Um, my based award is going to go to Sean O'Brien, the president of the Teamsters Union right now. Uh, I'm just very much enjoying his, uh, his publicity tour that he's on. Um, if you haven't heard anything of him or seen anything of him um you probably start with his uh his appearance in congress where 
he um, he goes at it with some other congressperson. UPS feeder driver makes thirty five thousand. If you don't know your facts, then maybe you. Should oh, I, be I know him because I negotiate the. Contract. So I say I say one thing to you. What do you bring for that salary? What do I bring? Yeah. What do you, what do you, what job have you committed or have you have you uh, uh, started? What job have you created? One job other than sucking the paycheck out of some other body, somebody else that you want to say that you're trying to provide because you're forcing them to pay dues? And no, then, we don't force them. Senator, you've asked the you're question. You're out of line. Let him answer Actually, the I question. Actually, I haven't. Don't tell me I'm out of line. You are out of line. Don't tell me I'm out of line. Well, you, you, you frame, don't tell me. I'm making a statement. You frame the statement. You need to shut your mouth because you don't know what you're talking about. You're going to tell me to shut my mouth? Yes, I did. Hold it. Hold it. Tough guy. I'm not afraid of physical Hold it. But don't sit there and tell me I'm out of line. This guy's going, I own my own business and I only take home 50K. And then Sean O'Brien says, yeah, that just means you're good at hiding the money. And uh, he's just, you know, he's kind of like uh, he's kind of like the, what Chris Smalls is doing for Amazon. Sean O'Brien is doing for the Teamsters. And I got a lot, of, a lot of love for the Teamsters. My dad was a Teamster for over 40 years. My grandfather was a Teamster. Um, I worked with the Teamsters. I wasn't technically a Teamster because I was kind of like a back pocket guy because I was my, my dad's son at the shop. Got a lot of love for the Teamsters. and I'm really enjoying Sean O'Brien's um, his public drawing public attention to their UPS contract negotiations. And my dad hates the Teamsters. <gasps> Why? <laughs> I don't know. Has he met Sean O'Brien? <laughs> I worked with a guy at, at Olive Garden a long time ago, and uh, he was a Teamster guy. He had like all those paraphernalia from like the the Teamster stuff, and he handed me a bunch of stickers. I've always been a pro union guy. Mm-hmm. He's like, here, put your my my union stuff on your car, and I did. My dad saw that one day. And goes, what the hell? Why is that on your car? The Teamsters are going on about Teamsters. I'm like. What'd they do to you? <laughs> he wouldn't tell me. No answer? <laughs> no answer. He just hates Teamsters. Well, okay. Yeah. He's not a team, Teamsters player. <laughs> Lee? Yeah, uh, I have been elected to the next uh, position as PCTA president. I've been in the classroom for 28 years at St. Pete High. All 28 years at St. Pete High. And I teach mostly one semester classes. So I've had between 250 and 300 students a year for a couple of decades now. And I want to give a shout out to all those kids who came through my door, some of which I terrorized probably, and <laughs> some of which I supported. But uh, I, I'm really going to miss everybody. This week, one of our, uh, one of my former students, Brittany Vinciguera, is a teacher at our school, and I've had quite a few students who became teachers, and, and at St. Pete High. And her agri- uh, ecology club planted a bunch of uh, yellow ground orchids in the uh, senior courtyard. I actually donated the ground orchids because I garden a lot, mm-hmm. and I uh, was uh, collecting these cuttings. So I feel really good about my students and what they're doing and what they're becoming. I've had people running for mayor, several of them. Uh, some Just some great successes, but this is also going out to all the quiet ones out there that are successful in their own quiet way, mm-hmm. that are not getting a lot of recognition, but know the love is still there, and I appreciate y'all. You are a legacy at the school, so we're very much appreciated. And, and Brittany's doing a great job with that courtyard. It looks beautiful, and thank you for donating that. The school yeah, looks great. Thank you, Lee. Ken? Yes, I was just mentioning that tomorrow's going to be a big day. It's my wife's 50th birthday. She has an action-packed weekend in plan. So we're going to Disney World area, and we're going to go to Hollywood Studios. I don't know what I'll enjoy there, but she'll enjoy it. <laughs> 
Not anyway, a Star Wars guy? You don't know no Star Wars, were you? I, I'm telling you, I can handle Hollywood Studios, but she is an Outlet Mall fan. Oh, boy. So we're going to end up at the Outlet Mall over there, and it's going to be 95 degrees, and I'm going to sit there just sweating all day long while she goes shopping, which that's the worst part I'm dreading. But i got to keep quiet because it's her birthday, and she does what she wants. The things we do for love. But exactly. You know so. what else is out there, though, that could keep you busy, Ken? Machine Gun America is right over there. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, she's going to want me to stay by her because I have the credit card handy. Oh, I gotcha. So. <laughs> oh, right on. Well, what's your wife's name? Sujitra. She's from Thailand. Sujitra. Her, her American name is Sarah. 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 Sujitra. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy yes. birthday. Happy birthday. Sujitra. I yes. like that. All right. Well, mine's a simple based award. Um, I don't know if you guys listen to the advertisement, the, the promo I've had going on for a few episodes now, but we can now take donations. And we've had our first donation recently from an Albert, no, sorry, a Jacob Albert. Uh, he gave us $10, and that's amazing. That's going to pay for some gas. Yeah, thank you, Jacob. So nothing that grand, nothing that magnificent. but that I think magnificent. I think don't, it's pretty cool. It. I it's, think it's pretty cool that someone actually would throw some money at it. That is neat. Unexpected. Yeah. Hmm. Mooks like us, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm walking here. <laughs> I get no respect at all. <laughs> that's the second time somebody has done that impression on this podcast. <laughs> I get no respect. I tell you. <laughs> I was so ugly, the doctor slapped my mother. <laughs> We're going to get copyright stuck. you got to end it here. We're getting out of here. So uh, thank you again, guys, for listening to PCTA's Fire Podcast. I'm Brennan. I'm Lee. I'm Philip. And I'm Ken. Thanks, guys. Take thank it you. easy. Bye. Summer is on the horizon, but we would still like to remind our listeners that the school board will continue to meet on May 9th, June 27th, and July 11th at 10 a.m., as well as June 13th at 5 p.m. You might be thinking, gee, that's a lot of early meeting times. But this is definitely the norm here in Pinellas. Help us by going out and speaking against this to have the school board conduct its business when the working public is free to voice their concerns. It's vital for teachers, parents, and community members to attend these meetings and advocate for public education. Your voice and presence can play a significant role in shaping the future of education and improving our community. A special thank you to Philip Bel Castro for providing our theme music and Artifact for adding some great tracks into our intermissions. If you haven't already, be sure to check out Artifact's music at artifactjoints.bandcamp.com. We also want to express our gratitude to... Radio St. Pete for airing our podcast, Jamie Beck, Brian Bowden, Nancy Villardi, Lee Bryant, and all of our supporters from the education community, as well as our new monthly listener, Jacob Albert. Your support and dedication has been instrumental in getting the word out and reaching new listeners. That's all for today. I'm Brennan Pickett. Have a great day, guys.